From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. It's 2019 and Congress has reconvened. CQ on Congress is also back with a new podcast to start a new year. In her opening of term address on January 3rd, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called climate change the existential threat of our time and said the entire Congress must move to address it. Climate crisis, a crisis manifested in natural disasters of epic proportions. The American people understand the urgency. The people are ahead of the Congress. The Congress must join them. At least in the House, there will be action. Pelosi has established a select committee on the climate crisis and tasked it by March 2020 with making recommendations to other panels that have the power to approve legislation. The chairman of one of those panels, Energy and Commerce, Democrat Frank Pallone of New Jersey, says he will start the year with hearings looking at threats posed by climate change. A United Nations committee said last year that time is of the essence. It warned that unless governments act to curb the carbon emissions that are altering the climate, we will see flooded coastlines and catastrophic droughts within a generation. My guests today are Brad Johnson, a climate activist who serves on the board of End Climate Silence, and Elvina Namaguna, CQ's environment reporter. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Sean. Great to be here. Elvina, you've been on the Hill. You've been talking to Democrats who are now in charge of the House, among them Ted Deutsch, the Floridian who has proposed a carbon tax and is co-chairman of a Climate Solutions Caucus. What are they telling you? So just by way of background, Democrats have for the last two years been complaining about the inaction of their Republican colleagues and the regulatory rollbacks of the Trump administration. And now they have the power to do something. Uh, Congressman Deutsch prefers a bipartisan approach to climate change action. And he was a co-founder of the Climate Solutions Caucus, which had an equal number of Republicans and Democrats. Now, the caucus lost nearly half of its Republicans in the midterms, but he plans to reprise it this year. We've been trying to come up with a plan that will uh, allow us to, to build upon the work that we ha- have already done, which, which includes providing a place where Democrats and Republicans can come together and engage in conversations about climate change, hear from business leaders, climate, uh, climate leaders, local government officials, uh, international officials. Um, we've heard from those who have been impacted by climate change. The, those discussions are great, but going forward, we need to do more than be a, um, a debate society. <laughs> We, we have to actually move forward with legislation. And Alvina, that is from your one-on-one interview with Ted Deutsch, the Florida congressman. What's his mood? One of the things that he acknowledges was even though the, the Democrats are still trying to flesh out their messaging, the difference right now is that they're having important conversations on climate change that were practically non-existent in the last two years. Towards the end of the last Congress, he introduced a carbon tax bill. Obviously, he knew it was not going to go anywhere in the evening hours of the last Congress, but it was mostly to send the message that 
he intends to push for more bipartisan action in the new Congress now. Does it have enough support? That's yet to be seen. So where does this new Committee on the Climate Crisis fit in? The Committee on the Climate Crisis is going to be exploring solutions. It can't write legislation. It can't subpoena anybody. We don't know yet what's going to come out of that committee. We have a wing of the of the Democratic Party, the progressives, who want it to be very aggressive. They are pushing for what they call a Green New Deal, which would, among other things, transition the United States to 100% renewable energy within 10 years. That's a very aggressive uh, plan. It doesn't look like that that idea has been has the support of the entire caucus. Well, we have a year and uh, three months to see what comes out of the panel. How do the progressives feel about um, the chairwoman who's been selected to lead that select committee, uh, Kathy Castor, the Floridian? So there's been some mixed feelings. Of, obviously, Kathy Castor is well loved by the environmental uh, environmental community. She's been a champion for climate change. She comes from Florida, one of the most vulnerable areas. But one of the things she tripped on was she she was not certain that she would um, restrict members who have taken money from fossil fuel companies from serving on the panel, which is a big issue with the progressive. They don't want anyone who's taken money from oil, big oil, big coal, serving on the panel because they don't think that they, they're already conflicted. They, it's akin, they said, to having the, the, the folks watch the hen house. But I think that that is less an issue for them and more what can the panel do. And so they are not happy about a quote-unquote toothless panel. Gotcha. And a lot of the new Democrats who were elected in 2018 are blue dogs, uh, moderates, who might be skeptical of new taxes and regulation aimed at curbing climate change. How are they going to fit into this equation? So we've already seen that tension play out between the the moderate Democrats and the progressives. And we've heard from House Energy and Commerce Chairman Frank Frank Pallon, who's uh, who's against the idea of a select committee, and and he's butted heads with the progressives. He says he is going to do, uh, he's going to take aggressive actions that will satisfy the progressives. Now, we don't know what those aggressive actions are and how different they're going to be from what the progressives want. So it's still very early on, and I think they still have to work on coming up with a unified message, and I think we'll see that take take shape in the next you know few weeks. And given the fact that the re- Republicans still control the Senate and Donald Trump is still president, nothing is going to be enacted into law. So what's the objective here for Democrats? Yes, you're right. I think we're still far off from getting a big, huge climate change package to the finish line. But one area of opportunity is on infrastructure. That's something that both Democrats and Republicans want. So you might see Democrats use the infrastructure package to pass uh, things like green technology, resilience, uh, making roads better, making coastlines more resilient to to climate change. So that, that might be the most plausible opening for now. And this does get it part of the discussion going into the 2020 campaign, right, Alvina? Yes, it does. Um, and you, you've seen, first of all, in Congress, it's, it's, it's a huge shift that we're going to be seeing hearings on climate change, talks about climate, climate change, which didn't happen in the last two years. And the Republicans who had the majority pretty much shut down any attempts on climate action. And as, as Ted Deutsch said, that regardless of what policies they have, what ideas they have right now, 
they will be having com important conversations that have not happened. Now, on a more national scale, you're hearing uh, 2020 hopefuls starting to shape their message around climate change. We've had the governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee, if he runs, that's going to be a major part of his uh, his messaging. If Michael Bloomberg, who spent a lot of money on climate change, if he runs, that's going to be an important part of his message. The former New York mayor. Yeah, we've had Tom Steyer, climate ac activist, planning to run. So it's going to be, here, yeah, yes. I think for the first time, it's going to be a major issue for Democrats. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. I'm going to turn now to Brad Johnson, a board member at End Climate Silence. Brad, do you like what you're hearing from Democrats? Well, I think uh, the point that's been made is that Democrats aren't in any way unified on what should be done about climate change or even how to talk about it or even how to organize around it. And I think what's best is to understand that there are different factions within the party. You have, there's the members of Congress who have ties to the fossil fuel industry or are comfortable with corporate influence. And then there are ones who are coming in from uh, the, with a completely different position. And one of the most interesting things of that is that some of the, if you look at the composition of the, the freshman members, is that you have some that are coming in from solid blue districts like Ayanna Presley, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who are some of the most vigorous proponents of the Green New Deal. But you also have members that are coming in uh, even from the clean tech industry like uh, Mike Levin and, and Sean Caston, who are coming in from much more moderate districts. And so you actually have uh, Democrats who made uh, climate change and climate action and fighting the fossil fuel industry as part of their their campaigns, even in these purple districts, like uh, candidates like Elaine Luria from Virginia. And so there's a much, there are a lot of the contestations that are happening in the House right now is partly ideological, but partly it's just a generational thing where you have the uh, people coming in to be chairs, uh, and I think they're pretty much all chairmen uh, of committees in wanting to maintain their control over uh, the agenda. And that's, so there's two kinds of contestation. There's an ideological contestation, and then there's just a straight, uh, you know, internal, almost high school level politics of, of power going on. So Brad, let's get a sense first of, uh, of where we are with the climate. How inalterably have we already changed our climate? The shortest way of answering that might be that there, we are now in the Anthropocene, is the term that scientists are uh, increasingly using, which is that we've entered a new geological age of our own creation. And there's no part of the biosphere, the cryosphere, the atmosphere, uh, the oceans that human activity, especially pollution, and including climate pollution, that we haven't changed. So there are some who are skeptical of the idea of increased regulation of carbon emissions, not because they deny that climate is changing, but they say there's nothing we can do. Why are we going to you know, take these steps that could hurt our economy? Are they wrong? Yes. So there are things we could do that would make a difference. Yes, absolutely. There are costs that we've already borne. Uh, we can't bring back uh, New Orleans or Puerto Rico or 
uh, the far rockaways to where they were before the hurricanes and disasters that befell them. But that isn't a reason for inaction. Uh, there's going to be suffering ahead, but how much there is is up to what we do now. So if we reduced carbon emissions, we could uh, mitigate the future change in the climate. Yeah, I mean, to be to be specific, uh, if we do not stop burning fossil fuels, if we do not stop increasing the uh, amount of carbon pollution in the atmosphere, global warming will continue. So we need to fully stop the pollution. The last time Democrats controlled the House, they did pass a climate change bill to tax carbon emissions. This was back in 2009. If, did, if they did that again, would it be enough? Would that bill, if that were enacted into law, would it be enough? I mean, that, the, that specific piece of legislation was a product of its time. And, the, and if, if it had passed, then I, we would see the need for continued new legislation now. Um, and that's so at any point, any one piece of legislation isn't going to be, quote unquote, enough. This is an ongoing and basically total global fight that um, everyone in the world is going to have to face. But it certainly would have been much better situation than the one we're in now. So you heard Elvina talk about progressives concerns about this new select com committee, the, the fact that it lacks subpoena power, it lacks the ability to write legislation on its own. Do you share these concerns? Are, are, are Democrats still too reluctant to act? Yes. And what should they be doing that's better? I mean, the proposal that was put on the table by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other supporters of the Select Committee on a Green New Deal was one that was much more aggressive about that there had to be a comprehensive plan that, the, that would be given to uh, the committees of jurisdiction. And there, I mean, I think what we're going to see is we're going well, to see- Well, give me the parameters of, I mean, what should, what do we need to be doing? I right? mean, we, what we need to be doing is what uh, was previously discussed of looking at how do we take the, reshape our economy so that we end carbon pollution and do so in a way that increases the justness and fairness in our, our economy. Uh, in other words, uh, addressing global warming is something that will require a lot of work, a tremendous amount of work. So this is something that is, by and large, very good for the economy, but it might not be so good for people who hold vast holdings in fossil fuel stocks. Well, are we talking about completely ending our use of oil and coal? Yes. That is what we need to do for global warming to stop. Short of Congress... Uh, ordering the end of of oil and get oil and coal use, is there some compromise that would be a good step along the way that activist that would satisfy activists? Well, that's the legislative process. I mean, the politics is the art of compromise, and the I think what activists are looking for is the understanding of and an acceptance of what is the the goal, what is the reason for taking action. In other words, if the idea is that um, one can manage global warming by altering, you know, tinkering around the edges, then that's uh, basically a total denial of the scientific reality. If the goal is to figure out how to phase out the uh, carbon pollution and 
what comes through the legislative process is a compromise, and, it get, and it's one that gets to the president's desk, and it's progress, you know, a step in the right direction, then activists will continue to demand more, but there will be great celebration that that has happened. Brad, thank you for joining us. And Alvina, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Sean. And thank all of you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.